to anyone who's listening. This is going to be my official, formal, introductory episode where I talk about the reason for the podcast, the origins of how it's come about, everything that is going to lead into all the other episodes that we'll be doing. Today is February 8th. It is the birthday of my great-grandma. May she rest in peace. And in February, there's a string of birthdays that go back-to-back for four days straight. So tomorrow is my little brother's birthday. He'll turn 13. Wow. And then my other little brother, his birthday is the day after that. And then the day after that is my best friend's birthday. She will be 25, just like I just turned 25 this January. And she is going to be our co-host for this podcast. So I'm going to get started by some icebreaker questions that I created for myself and for her for when she does her formal introductory episode that will air next week. Um, I used some prompts and questions from We're Not Really Strangers on Instagram. I know they have a lot of um, self-exploration cards, and they also have, um, obviously, cards where strangers interact, and they go deeper than the surface-level questions that normally people would have to break the ice or get to know each other. They kind of, like, go for the depth in people. So I figured it would help me. Um, So to tell you a little bit about myself, I don't remember what I said in my informal um, mini announcement, introduction, episode, whatever the hell. Um, But my name's Fatima. I turned 25 this year. I have two cats, Puff and Pepper. Pepper is all black with a white dot on his chest, and Puff is black and white, predominantly black. And she belonged to my Big Ernie, which is kind of like my step-god-grandpa thing. May he rest in peace. Um, She was his, his cat, and he named her Puff because Puff Puff Pass. Uh... <laughs> Weird, but cute, and I like it for her. I am a licensed cosmetologist, and I am a digital media artist, and I currently work in clinical research, and I still do freelance work for graphic design, and I am on call for makeup as far as special occasions go, like weddings, and proms and balls. I personally prefer airbrush makeup the most and my style is um, natural skin. Something interesting about me, I don't know. I'm a nail pot, I like being barefoot. If I could be barefoot all the time, I would. I would literally, I don't care. I would always never have shoes on. And I don't really like socks, even though they're cute. 
I also hate water, but the pandemic has made me scared enough to drink eight cups of water every day. And I've been doing that for almost a year now, and I still hate it. If I could just drink Sprite every day, I would do that because that's what I want to do. And that's what I've done for over a decade and a half before I uh, got sent to the ER and had to get you know, kind of a life check there. So now I drink water. Yay. I'm a pinnacle of health, even though I'm not. I'm a very unhealthy vegetarian who misses meat. So I eat a ton of fake meat and I eat a ton of cheese and I eat a ton of pasta and I rarely see vegetables and I definitely don't see fruit. Um, I'm a crazy animal lover and I'm just trying to like navigate what it means to be me where as a kid, I thought I, you know, I had it all figured out. I knew what I wanted, but then the things that I'll explore in this podcast happened and then I, I wasn't anything. I, my body did what a body was supposed to do. My mind was somewhere else. Where else? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't exist for so many years. And I don't know how to express that right now. So let's keep it light and go through the introductory questions that I created. So basically, um, I created all these questions and I'm going to go down the line and then wrap this up and that's it for this episode. So if you wanted to see the questions that I have prepared, that's on the screen right now. If you want to um, introspect and read these questions yourself and answer them with your friends, with your family, ask them of your friends or your family, uh, feel free. And also follow We're Not Really Strangers on Instagram if you're not because they produce amazing content and purchase their products because it really made me think. Um, So if you want to look deeper into the people around you or yourself, go ahead and do that. So I just said a little bit about me. Now, the first question What title would you give this chapter in your life? I would give this chapter in my life the title of trying. How are you handling the pandemic? Explain. So the pandemic is really interesting because way too many people are no longer here and they should be, and it's really tragic. And when I think about the fact that we are all locked down, that everyone, when you see them now, they have half a face because they're wearing masks. The fact that many people didn't get to celebrate birthdays or holidays, didn't get to see family members. Some people have been shut in for over a year just by themselves. And some people feel trapped with the people that they're in that's making them evaluate their relationships and 
the toxicity that comes from being in close proximity at all times. When I think about domestic violence rates going up higher because people cannot escape their abusers now, or I think about the kids that can't afford to have anything to eat and they can no longer go to school to get free meals or they can't see other kids and how people's mental health is deteriorating for people who had never experienced mental illnesses. And then for the people who have experienced mental illnesses that they've already suffered from extreme low mood, chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety, if they had agoraphobia, if, if they're going through anything already, they're definitely now. And I think about how, when we get out of this, whenever we get out of this, how people's social interactions will change, how people will handle stress and conflict more because they're not used to it in the same way as a few years ago. I, I just, when I think about all the things that this pandemic has done, it, it kind of messes me up and it kind of hurts. But when I think about the pluses and there's very few pluses and I don't want to act like any of the pluses, um, outweigh or balance out the negatives. I think about how the pandemic has allowed me to have more free time to do the things that I wanted to do. Like if I had to go to work physically for eight hours and commute back and forth, I would not have the energy to try to do things that I'm doing in this trying chapter of my life. My YouTube, this podcast, writing my stories, drawing again, trying to make my art realized. I wouldn't have the energy because when I had to do the commuting and I had to put all my all into working physically in the office and then commute an hour back and I, I'd only have three hours left in my day. So I have to spend it showering, maybe making something to eat, watching one or two hours of TV and going to sleep so I can get back up. 5 30 6 in the morning and doing that over and over and that cycle also messed my head up and it it would bring me into a panic because i have the natophobia which i will discuss in the podcast and discuss further maybe in the end of this episode um i i have more time than ever to do things that i love i've been cooking more than ever i've been baking more than ever i've been teaching family members how to cook and bake certain things of my recipes. They've been doing the same for me. I've been enjoying quality time with family. I've been seeing multiple different family members that I normally wouldn't see. I've been spending more time with my friend. I definitely have a lot of time with my cats. And I'm, I'm just going after all of my artistic dreams right now and permanently being remote in this pandemic has allowed me to have enough time to do these things. So that's what I'm grateful for, but it doesn't in any way outweigh or balance all of the negatives that being in a pandemic is. What's been keeping you sane lately? What's been keeping me sane lately 
is the fact that as long as I keep trying, as long as I keep working hard with my artistic goals, I can feel good about myself. I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. I'm trying not to let my worth be in the things that I produce. That's very capitalistic. I'm trying not to put my value in whether or not people listen to this podcast or watch my YouTube videos or follow me. I'm not trying to make it so that if I don't have a following, I'm not fulfilled or that I'm worthless. I just know that I am passionate about the things that I love and I'm passionate about the concept of storytelling and I want to tell stories. I'm going to tell my stories. I want to tell other stories and I want to tell them in a variety of ways. I want to tell stories through hair art and makeup artistry. I want to tell art through design. I want to tell art through writing novels. I want to tell art through making films. I want to tell art through animation. I want to tell art through drawing traditionally. I want to tell art through journal entries and speaking. And I think that is what I should make the point. Just doing these things. Not whether or not they're listened to or seen or heard or respected or followed or praised, but the fact that I'm doing them. So that's how I keep myself sane. And that's how I keep that balance there. Not it being about viewers or followers or subscribers or supporters, but about just doing the thing that I love. How are you really? I'm really content is the best word that I can say. I'm content with my situation. I know that if a financial hardship came or something happened to my family or my friends or, or even something like my phone dying or my laptop dying, that could take my content immediately to devastated. But as things are, as I exist right now and have been for the past year, I'm fine. I'm content. And I think that's that's really good, especially for me. Um, I can't wait for the day that content isn't the default, but happy is the default. How would you describe your relationship with yourself in one word? I want to say interesting because that leaves room for it to be positive and negative and just, you know, open-ended. So I'm going to go with that. What is your favorite moment from an interaction from a family member? My favorite moment. I'm going to give it to my little brother whose birthday is tomorrow that will be turning 13. My favorite moment is when he was a little baby and we were on a vacation in Florida to visit family. And we were in a hotel room and he was just learning how to walk. And so he was walking and um, he was peeing at the same time. He was like one or two or something. And he was peeing while walking and he slipped on his own pee and fell backwards into his own pee. And his 
his pee went from the floor to up in the air and over to his his face and body and he was just like crying and trying to move and stuff and me and my my mom and the rest of my family we cared obviously we wanted to help him but it was just to be there in the moment it was so funny we couldn't help but laughing hysterically then scoop him up and you know give him all the oh it's okay and then immediately wash him what is your favorite moment from an interaction from a friend my favorite moment from an interaction from a friend i'm gonna give it to mo which is my co-host and her birthday is the last of the four days i'm gonna say my favorite moment with her was when we were in high school and i had a wig on and my wig got hooked into the inside of the locker and so when i went to go walk away from the locker my wig came off and she immediately saw and she pushed me back into the locker and shielded me with her body to keep everyone from in the hallways from seeing until she could get the hood of her um her coat on me and i walked around with the hood because we had to unhook the um wig off and it was making it a hard time and then i got to quickly do a switcheroo and put the wig back on it was really funny because that's how we joke and that is honestly hilarious to us things like that and i i feel bad because if the it was the other way around i know i probably would have just stayed back pointed and laughed i wouldn't have been so quick to the defense the same way she was and she admitted that she knows that that's exactly how it would have gone if the uh, roles reversed but it still would have been funny to her too what is your favorite moment from an interaction from a stranger I think my favorite interaction with a stranger was when I've had a plethora of used cars. They kind of don't help with my, my thanatophobia, my death anxiety, but um, it's what we could afford. So we've always had used cars that have been death traps. And one of my first ones, I was on an exit ramp going up when it stopped and started rolling back. So I pulled the emergency brake and I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. And I called my mom and waited for her to get there. So everyone on the exit was so mad with me. And they were going around me and me mugging me and stuff. And I was like a 17-year-old girl. It was BS. But this one guy in this really, really nice Porsche or something, he pulled over. And by then, my mom was there. And he told us to take his car and drive it into the parking lot to this um, mall plaza that I worked at. And that he would figure out how to fix the car, get it up off the ramp and meet us at the parking lot. So we, so he does do that, but the problem is we can't figure his car out because there's no key. And we didn't know that there was a button to press. So then we were afraid that this man thought we stole his car, but we figured it out and made it back to him. And my, my mom was trying to like, in a way, see if she could shoot or shot because he had money. But we saw two car seats in the back seat. He had a wedding band. It was like, nah, we can't nab him. But it was just nice that he he went out of his way to do something that he didn't have to do. He could have just drove past, especially considering so many people drove past and honked or mean mugged me like it was my fault. What is something big or small that you miss right now? Hmm. I'm a homebody, an introvert. I like being inside the house. The only thing I could say that I miss right now is like, I honestly don't know because I still could get it. 
like if I wanted to go to like Cold Stone, I could. I'm only thinking about ice cream right now. I would like ice cream. Do you feel like you take up too much space or too little when around other people? Explain. I feel like it depends. I feel like if I'm surrounded by people I do not know, I don't take up a lick of space. I will stay quiet and I stay in the corner. And if you have a pet, I'm playing with your pet. Until the food rolls out, then I'm playing with your fit. I'm playing with your pet and eating your food and I'm dipping. If I know a few people enough for me to like crack some jokes, I'll do that. And if it seems warm and inviting, I might take up too much space because I, I want people to talk to me, I guess. Yeah. I want to make people laugh. I want to make people feel good. And when I see people laugh and smile and talk to me, it makes me feel like, you know, like I'm a likable person, like, like they could be my friend, you know? What do you think people see when they look at you for the first time? Well, right now, I wouldn't want anyone to look at me. I always had clear skin, and that was one of the only things I was kind of proud of appearance-wise about myself. But now, I, I have adult acne. I became an adult and got acne great. And it's turned into a lot of hyperpigmentation and acne scars. And my face is riddled in them now. Um, whenever I get a high amount of stress, um, my skin just lets me know. So right now, I really have some flare-ups. I also TMI, but I don't care. I, I like being honest. I have a cold sore right now, which is something that happens only when I'm stressed. And I... I almost had a scare of pityriasis rosea again, but nope, I'm good right now. I know that my stress came from knowing that I was supposed to do this episode and supposed to do a lot of things that I promised I would do and I haven't been doing. So this is the real reason why I'm really like keeping with consistency, because if I don't, my mind and my body will um, clap back at me. But before I had these skin conditions, I would say when people look at me for the first time, I've heard that people think that I'm mean. And I think that's just because I have a resting neutral face that mixed with my black ass converts to mean girl. But the moment I talk, immediately my eyes are lit up. I smile. I'm nice. And then people admit, hey, yeah, when I first saw you, I thought you were mean. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. What do you think people see when they look at you after multiple times? Well, after multiple times, if you've looked at me and haven't talked to me, then that says more about you than it says about me. But after multiple times, most likely I've talked to you a few times. So I would assume that I'm just a Fatima to you now in whichever way Fatima means to you. I don't know if you think I'm cool. I don't know if you think I'm boring. I don't know if you think I talk too much. I don't know. What do you like about your daily routine? Well, my daily routine in the pandemic, I like that I have to log into work at eight o'clock. So I get up at 7.30. 
maybe even 7.58, and then just turn the computer on and get to work in bed, crest and eyes. That's pretty nice. When I log off of work, I get in the shower, I eat dinner, I cuddle with my cats, watch TV, unless I have a client, and then I take care of the client or clients if it's back to back and just enjoy my day. I'm just trying to properly fit in the things that I genuinely want to do within that schedule and trying not to procrastinate on it because I want it to be perfect. And I just need to focus on actually, once again, doing the thing and trying. What don't you like about your daily routine? I don't like when a schedule gets so repetitive that it's boring. Why don't you like it? I don't like it because it makes me feel like I don't know, like a video game character or something, like I'm not a real person. If I keep doing the same thing in the same pattern over and over, I feel like I'm achieving madness. Can you change or remove the things you do not like about it? Yes, I can keep everything spicy. I can mix things around. That's what I need to work on. If you can, are you trying? Are you failing or successful? I am trying. Most of the times I'm failing. But today, for example, I'm successful. If you cannot, can you change the way you think and feel about it? Um, well, I can, so I don't have to change the way I think and feel about it. What about yourself is hard to admit? Hmm. <laughs> it's hard to admit that I'm scared that people will hate me or, yeah, hate me. I wouldn't even say people are afraid of me. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm afraid that people will hate me. I'm afraid that, that everything I, I do is wrong or everything I say is wrong, or everything I want is wrong. Because even though I'm, I say things, and I believe them, and I feel secure majority of the time, I, I still wonder if I'm wrong on a lot of things, and wrong to a point where people can, instead of correcting me or, or listening to me or being empathetic about it, they'll, they'll rip me apart and then laugh at me. I'm afraid of being laughed at and hated, I think, yeah. And it's hard to admit that I care so much about that. What is something you hate to ask for but love to receive? I hate to ask for compliments. <laughs> I don't, I never ask for compliments, but I love to receive them. And nothing about my looks. I want someone to say, like, I'm glad to see you today. I like the song that you recommended. I was thinking about you. You matter to me. 
this thing you did was awesome. I'm a big words of affirmation kind of love language kind of person. And I, when I get those random compliments from strangers that have nothing to do with my looks, but everything to do with like my character, my kindness, my work ethic, like that, that makes me feel like I have worth. It makes me feel good. How do you handle rejection? Well, I don't really get rejected because I'm not in the, I don't date. I don't, I'm not a part of that industry. Um, so I can eject that one. Um, what other ways can I be rejected? I don't know. It's not like I'm applying for anything, so I'm not getting rejected. I'm sure in the future, there's going to be a lot of closed doors in my faces. So I'll figure out how I handle it then. But right now, I would assume that I would just let it roll off my shoulders because there's still another opportunity. There's always a new opportunity. So when something closes, another one opens. What is the biggest thing you overthink about? Life, well, specifically death. What is something you do not like about yourself and would want to change? I don't like how much I care about what other people think. I don't like how much I care about people hating me or laughing at me, but that's the truth. Can you? Can I change this? Hmm. I can with therapy. If so, how will you do so? Once again, therapy. If not, how can you change the way you think about this part of yourself? I wouldn't because I cannot. Not without therapy. I'm going to say therapy is the answer. I can't change the way I think about how... I want to stop thinking about potentially people hating me or laughing at me in the future. I'm going to, that's going to be therapy. What would you never want to change about yourself? I don't want to change my creativity and I don't want to change my curiosity. Who do you put first in your life? Um, I want to say me, but I kind of know that's not true. Mentally, I, I try to go, you know, put yourself first, put yourself first. And I try my best, but usually where the money resides, I, I put that first sometimes. And of course, I put my cats first because they're my proximity and I need to make sure they're good before I'm good. And I, I, I put my uncle first and... When he needs help, I put my grandma first. When she needs help, I put my mom first. If she calls and says, I need you, you know. So I, I can't really answer that one. I would say, yeah. I have a mindset where I want to put myself first. But in actuality, it just depends on who needs help the most at that time. And by the way, I'm sorry if you're hearing cars outside. I live in a busy neighborhood. This side street 
gets a lot of play. People speed up and down here. People like to argue outside, curse each other out. There's always ambulances and firefighters and cops in the street. It is what it is. I live in the hood. I don't know what to tell you. What lesson should you have learned by now? Probably not to care about what other people think. Yeah. Think of someone you admire. Why did you choose this person? Rihanna. She doesn't care about what people think. She does what she wants to do. And all honestly, she's just also very inspirational outside of the way she has this security about herself and this confidence. And she's not afraid to check people. And she's not afraid to be uh, a scary, sassy, or angry black woman. She just is her in her full authenticity. But it's also just cool to see a black woman be so iconic. She is a fashion icon. She has built herself an empire. She has a fashion house. She has jewelry. She has shoes. She has iconic clothes. She has an affordable everyday person um, luxury lingerie line. She has a makeup brand. She has a skincare brand. She's really just like the businesswoman and she's a singer and she's gorgeous. She's one of the Helen of Troy's of our time. It's just, she's dream worthy. She is a dream. Yeah, it will be her. What advice would you give your younger self in making friends? I would tell her to be careful. And I would tell her that if they're giving you the warning signs, don't ignore it just because you're lonely. Get out of there. I would tell her for the girls who actively told her that they were only hanging out with her and being friends with her because they had no one else, but as soon as they found someone better, they would leave to drop them. I would tell her that frenemies are not fun. They're not good to have. They're not something you have to tolerate. And that friendship shouldn't be draining and it shouldn't hurt you and they shouldn't have things over your head. What advice would you give your younger self in creating hobbies? I would tell her to not let go of the things that she loved because when I went through my depression and suicidal ideation and my anxieties were at its highest, I got rid of everything that I loved to do which is why I'm, I'm doing all of these things now, why I'm trying to make up for all the lost time. Over a decade of time, I stopped doing the things I loved. I stopped drawing, I stopped writing, I stopped reading, I stopped all of it. And now I draw at the same drawing level as when I was 10 or 12. So looking at other people who have 10 plus years of progress. They're drawing hyper-realistically. They have their own drawing style. They look incredible. And I, I'm practically two seconds away from a stick figure and it, it 
it does hurt me and it makes me feel inadequate, but I have to remember myself. I have to remember the truth of I can't be mad at myself for these things. And I have time to make it up to myself and I have time to explore the things that I lost in childhood and that I didn't do as a teenager and that I can always try again and that, you know, I, I'm not writing my will yet. I'm not going to freaking drop dead. I got time and I need to just explore that time. What would you give your younger self in handling discomfort? I don't know because I still don't handle discomfort well. What advice would you give your younger self in boundaries? Eh, that's for therapy. I kind of don't really have good boundaries for me to answer this for my younger self. I would say if people are actively hurting you, get out of there. That's all I can really say, but I don't know. What advice would you give your younger self in dating? I never dated, so... What would you, your younger self, not believe in about yourself today? I don't think my younger self would believe that I would be working a corporate job. And I don't think my younger self would have thought that I would have became a cosmetologist. I don't think my younger self would have thought that I would be rocking an afro. I don't think she'd be upset about it, but... She she had relaxed hair and she was used to that. How do you feel about that? I don't feel anything about that. Younger me and me are both me, but two different, two different lifestyles, two different existences. I'm more aware of her than she is of me. I have her in me. I know the things that she doesn't know yet. So I'm fine. I feel fine about that. Is there a feeling you miss? I miss feeling complete delight from being surrounded by people who are laughing so hard that they're, they're hunched over, they can't breathe. Some people sound like seals. Some people are snorting. I like that. I miss that. I miss being surrounded by so many people being so goofy that you can't breathe because you're laughing so hard. I think the last time I've had that, hmm, I don't know. When is it from? What age or year was it last? I don't know. Years ago, I'll say that much. Where is it from? What was the memory or event that sparked it? Just kind of like parties. What are you still trying to prove to yourself? So I have three affirmations. It's I can, I am enough, and everything is figure outable. I believe I can, and I believe everything is figure outable. But I'm trying to prove to myself that I am enough. What are you most grateful for in this current moment? I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. It's been two nor'eastern snowstorms. Um, to be in a, a house, to be safe with a roof over my head is 
is something to be grateful for. I'm grateful for my cats. I'm grateful that I'm surrounded by furry creatures. I kind of need that. Um, yeah. How often are you grateful? I try to be grateful every day. I try to practice gratitude as a daily thing, as well as um, mindfulness. How often are you vengeful? I'm not. It's not worth it. How often are you spiteful? Not often at all. No. Spite is kind of a weird thing with me. It's never in like a malicious way. It's in a, I only do it in a like prove you wrong kind of way. Like if you say I can't do something, I'll work hard to prove that I can so that I'm like, huh, I beat your expectations, but I'm not spiteful and like, you did something dirty to me, so when you're at your lowest, I'm going to do something dirty to you. How often are you sad? Used to be all the time. Um, not often. It's more occasional now. Like the actual feeling of sadness is occasional now. How often are you hurt? Occasional. How often are you confused? Rarely, usually I get serious clarification from whatever I'm doing. I like to make sure that everything is clarified before I go through with anything. Cap things, I'm a Capricorn. How often are you happy? Mm, between occasionally and rarely. I'm content or okay majority of the time. But a state of happiness, especially being stuck in four walls in a pandemic, I don't really achieve that anymore. How often are you at peace? Mm, I would say most of the time. At peace, content, you know, what's the difference? When was the last time you felt most yourself? I can only go by adult me. Adult me feels most herself all the time. If I am trying to compare it to when I felt myself as a child and saying like, that is the point of where I feel most myself. I don't know because my childhood is a complete blur. I, I don't really have a lot of good memories. Um, so I can't really use a moment in my childhood to reference feeling most myself. I can only go by me now, post-therapy, existing as an adult. I would say I feel most myself often. I feel most myself right now. I feel very present. I feel in my skin, you know. When was the last time you felt lucky to be yourself? I've never felt lucky to be myself. I still don't feel lucky to be myself. I just feel, you know, content with myself. What was the lesson in your most recent painful experience? Hmm. 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 That's a good one. 
do what's right for you. What is your favorite part of yourself that isn't physical? My creativity. What do you need to forgive yourself for? My lost years. The years that I was not artistically productive, the years that I didn't practice drawing or writing, I didn't read things. I, I lost literally over a decade, almost two decades of energy, of free time, of discovery, exploration. But I know that wasn't my fault. I know that. I know that <laughs> to be a mentally ill kid and a mentally ill teen is enough. Focusing on surviving is enough. What do you need to forgive yourself for? That is what I need to forgive myself for. What belief about yourself no longer serves you? That I'm pathetic. And I know you can wonder how did that ever serve me? Well, in my mind, when my mind was a mess, it served me because it reminded me not to have any uh, good feelings about myself, not to have any expectations for people who came into my life, things like that. What do you need? No, no, no. What is your most toxic trait you can admit to? Because I am running on a deathbed mentality because I have thanatophobia and I'm so stressed and so panicked about making my life matter in the way that I want it to matter artistically, creatively. Um, I can um, pull myself away from people and shut myself in because I justify it with, I need alone time to be creative. I need alone time to do the things that I love. And if I'm around people and too busy engaging and interacting with people, I'm not spending enough time working hard for the things I want. And that can come across very self-centered and very selfish. And it can make me feel like um, I'm a cold person or I wonder if other people think that I'm a cold person. And really it's just, I'm trying to make up for that lost time and I'm trying to make every moment count and I'm trying to make my dreams come true. And so I'm just like, I got to do this and I got to do this more than I can be with you. But then it also feels like I'm saying screw the world for my own goals. And I don't know. I'm torn in between that. What are you currently working through that others don't see? Everything that I'm talking about in this episode. Are any of your insecurities hurting someone else by accident? Yes. When I um, give my family the cool children because I, I'm like, I need, I need space. I need to like figure my stuff out. I need to um, focus on artistic endeavors more. I need to work multiple jobs more to make more money. I need to do this and that. 
even though it's to me it's in good faith it's because i'm trying to make my life matter in the ways that i want it to matter i want to be realized artistically and i want to escape generational poverty and i'm just trying to do my best to be a fully fledged human adult it still is i need to spend time with the people that matter while they're still here and when i don't do that i'm actively hurting them as much as me because i'm hurting these relationships Are any of your insecurities hurting someone else by accident? That is my answer. Yep, I'll go with that. What insecurity holds you back the most? Judgment. People hating me or people laughing at me. What lesson took you the longest to unlearn? That I'm not pathetic, that I'm not useless. What is the most pain you've ever been in that wasn't physical? When you are at your lowest to the point where it feels like your heart literally can't take it anymore, like you're in so much despair that your heart feels like it's killing you. Like it just, it dropped inside of you and it's on its last pump or last breath. It's just in pain. There's nothing like that heart pain. That's awful. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about storytelling. I'm passionate about story. Yeah. What is the most fulfilling part about what you do? What I do in the corporate world is, um, is clinical research, so it focuses on pharmaceuticals and it focuses specifically on um, cancer research. I like knowing that even though I have this particular position, all of the people around me and all of the people um, globally that work in this company, the little things that we do eight hours a day is working for a bigger picture that's going to help someone recover, help someone's treatment, help save lives. So that is fulfilling. What made you smile today? I've been watching YouTube videos and there was a lot of funny stuff happening. And I watched this um, this movie called Spree on Hulu with um, um, the guy um, who plays Steve Harrington in Stranger Things. He plays like a a madman who goes on a killing spree for attention on on um, social media and it kind of like is like an act at all the millennials and gen z who care about views and following and fame so much so that they become these monsters and everyone that he engages with and kills they're also vapid and narcissistic and uh, everything is about who's paying attention to who and um the killer the main character even said like if you're not recording yourself it's like you don't even exist and i was like damn i hope i hope that's not a lot of people and i hope in a way that's not me i don't think that's me i'm not i'm not doing this for narcissistic reasons i'm not doing this because i think i'm better than the next person or I, or I, sh I deserve, you know, fucking roses and a red carpet. And I'm this great being. 
I'm doing this because I love storytelling and I'm doing this because I, I do want to, like I said, matter in the ways that I want to matter, but not like that. I'm not a freaking crazy person. I'm not a megalomaniac. But that one line that if you're not recording it, it's not, it's like you don't even exist particularly hit me because I do have this theory that the way we record ourselves on the internet, if it lasts on the internet forever, as they say, and if the internet is forever, then in a way we are carbon dating ourselves in a way that is similar to Pompeii. And I actually am going to explore that in a video on my YouTube. And I think that concept is so interesting that we are kind of immortalizing ourselves digitally. And I thought, I think that's freaking awesome. So um, hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, someone of the future that we'll never see or know can come across us. They'll come across us in usernames and profile pictures. Maybe they'll find different pieces of us on different extinct social medias and they'll try and put the pieces together of who we are. They'll figure us out as a collective through memes and then they'll figure us out individually. I think it I think it's interesting and I really think it's cool. How often would you say you smile? I smile when I'm around people often. I smile even more when I'm around animals. And since I have two cats with me, I'm always smiling cuz I love looking at them and kissing them and rubbing them and Getting on their goddamn nerves. How often would you say you laugh? I would say every day. If I'm bored, I make myself laugh. I just think of some stupid shit. How often would you say you cry? Not often, but when it does come, oh, it comes all the way down. How often would you say you yell? I don't yell. I don't like yelling. And I don't like being yelled at. That's a huge thing of mine. Do not yell at me. How often would you say you shut down? Mm, it used to be all the time. Now I would say rarely. What's the best thing you've done for your mental health recently? Gratitude, affirmations, mindfulness, and just honestly chilling the fuck out. Zenning out is important. Zen out. I have the, the way stress works with me is if it's productive good stress, I'm like a beast. Once again, I'm a Capricorn. But when that bad stress adds on, that good stress is just too much to tolerate and then I just have all this stress and then boom, the nanophobia kicks in, boom, here comes a panic attack. So I don't need that in my life. What about you has felt repeatedly misunderstood by others, if anything? I feel like I can't answer this question because I've stayed away from people so much that I don't know what people misunderstand about me. And when it came to being in the office with coworkers, I didn't feel like people misunderstood me. What kind of childhood would you say you've had? Explain as thoroughly or as not as possible. Well, this podcast, we're going to be diving into childhood trauma first and second hand and how it pertains to each episode like anxiety depression thanatophobia internalized self-hatred stuff like that so i don't have to really be thorough here but i would say i'd had a a empty childhood 
I would have, I have one where I really am trying to fill in the blanks because there's so many things that I don't remember. And there's, um, there's like a handful of good moments that I can actively remember and visualize, but most of them that are incredibly vivid and that I can escape are the bad ones, are the damaging ones. How would you say your woke views are shaped by your childhood? They are very. It's the reason why I identify as an intersectional feminist. It's the reason why I'm pro-Black and Black Lives Matter. It's the reason why I really um, cape hard for the marginalized and the disenfranchised and the poor. It's because I know <laughs> the worst that can come from those things because they happen to me and the people around me. So, you know, I'm, I'm a defender. What biases did you develop based on what you were exposed to in your childhood all the way through now? A, biases about strangers. Um, I'm trying to overcome this one, but I still have a bias against uh, Black women. Yeah, sad to say it, but sometimes if I'm alone with like a, a Black woman my age or, or older, I do get a little bit nervous that she's going to be mean. I don't know. Um, biases about um, black black manhood, black men. I'm afraid that you know the first thing that they're gonna do is catcall me or or try me in some kind of way. Of course, actually, keep my distance there. Don't want the risk of aggression. And it's sad, I'm aware that associating black women and black men with aggression and being afraid of them, and, I, and I'm actively against that, and I speak against that in various different contexts online, and yet when I step outside, my own hood, my own domain, if I'm outside, I do feel anxious. I do wonder if I'm gonna be laughed at or treated aggressively or if they're gonna be able to sniff me out that I'm that I'm a weak person or a soft person, which I'm using nice words, it would have been called pussy or punk, which is something that relates to my childhood. Um, and I'm only saying them because I'm, once again, I'm in the hood, I'm surrounded by black people, predominantly black people. Um, Biases about other strangers, other strangers, regardless of race in general, I wonder if they have good intentions. B, biases about other communities. Okay, other communities. Um, I'll go with white people. White people, I'm worried that they'll be racist. I'm worried that they will even be nice and kind. They'd be the kind of person that jumps your car in the middle of the night while you're stranded out there. They give you the clothes on your back and then you find out that that they're racist. You find out that they um, they justify the killings of black people as deserved or the secretly they send you the n-word. And this once again pertains to my childhood and my teenhood because I came across people that I literally thought they viewed me as family. And then I found out their true colors afterwards in my face or um, behind my back as far as race goes. So I always get concerned 
that what if the white people around me are actually racist as hell? Biases about your family. Uh, biases that I have about my family based on my childhood. I don't really have biases about my close family because I don't really, like I know them so much that there isn't one there. Like if someone, if I had to like be team mom, for example, she's in a situation. Um, I'm not going to immediately take her side because she's my mom. I'm not immediately not going to take her side because she's my mom. There's no biases that's going to influence that as in like, oh, my mom can never be wrong because in my childhood, she was always, she always did good things. Or my mom is immediately wrong because I know that she does nothing but bad things. Like my mom my mom and my close family are so fully realized as human beings that can be messy and could be good and can be bad in certain situations that I don't really have a bias about them. I just wait to find out what the truth is about a situation, if that makes sense. And biases about yourself. Hmm. What biases did you develop? based on what you were exposed to in your childhood all the way through to now about yourself. <sighs> I would say that in a situation, if a situation comes, my bias to myself is that I don't know, because it depends. Something hits the fan, my bias about myself could just be retreating back into the I'm pathetic mindset, and it could be that. But if I'm in the right and I, you know, I have the cojones to, like, stand up for myself, my bias is that, no, I'm, I'm a good person, and I'm a hard worker, and I'm not going to falter. It just depends on how I falter, I guess. I don't know. How do you address these biases? How much do you agree with them? Um, whenever I'm being biased, and I guess this goes more with the strangers and other communities question. Um, I just like course correct in my head that I know that this is coming from a place of, this is what I saw as a kid. So I internalized it and believed it. This doesn't have to be the absolute truth. People are more than walking stereotypes. People are more than the caricatures that you create in your head of them. Um, hear them out. So I don't really agree with them that much. Unless someone is literally the walking um, example of my bias, I will, I will step back and course correct in my head. How have your worldviews and your biases changed from childhood to now? Greatly. I used to very, 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 very much so hate girls and women. And I very, 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 very much so had an, uh, a fear and an inferiority complex of men. 
I still kind of have like an inferiority complex there, but I'm not afraid of men anymore. And I don't hate girls and women anymore. And I don't hate my race anymore. And I don't hate um, being black or black people. So they changed uh, drastically. What is your biggest regret? My biggest regret is nothing. I, I don't have regrets. It is what it is. I feel like for me, I'm not saying this for other people, but for me, if I had a regret, I think it would eat me up. Especially because, like I said, I have this deathbed mentality. And the deathbed mentality is that I'm trying to do everything that I want to do and that I like and that brings me joy because I don't want to be on my deathbed with any regrets because I'm afraid of the moments on the deathbed between life and death before I die where I'm like, damn, I regretted everything. I don't want that. That's, that's almost, almost more terrifying than death itself. What is something that you will never regret? Life, do you feel shame about your past or your present? I used to feel very shameful about my childhood and my teenhood and the fact that my younger years was completely taken from me. And now I sound like an old millennial. I'm only 25. I know I'm not young. But then again, the thematophobia hits me with, yeah, you're 25. You're half of the halfway there. You're 25% to your 100% full death, bitch. But I need to stop that. I'm still young. I'm still alive. And I'm going to be around for a long time. And hopefully, if I achieve immortality forever. How do you handle shame? I try to get rid of it. How do you feel about guilt? About your past or your present? I don't really feel guilt. <sighs> yeah, I don't have anything to feel guilty about. How do you handle it? Uh, I don't know because I don't really feel guilty about things at all. Last question. What is the quote that speaks most to your very being? Hmm. There's this really, really <laughs> perfect quote, actually, that I received yesterday that really told me that, yes, I need to do this podcast episode. It was on... <laughs> It was on Tumblr. It was reblogged by the funniest username, Eat Pussy Pray Love. And it is, I stumbled across a kind, life-affirming axiom that in a cosmos potentially absent of meaning and in existence devoid of objective value, I have an opportunity to invent my own meaning. We all do. We can ascribe meaning and value to our own lives and in a way attribute great esteem and value to each other as a result. And this is from frontman David Leo Pepe of Gang of Youths on The Deepest Sighs, The Frankest Shadows from newly released album Go Farther Enlightenless. Um, it basically sums up quickly that, you know, life is what we make it. We get to choose our own meaning. And 
I love quotes that have anything to do with that. There's a song called Lamb Wise Enough. It's incredible. It basically sums that up too. And of course, the intro and outro of the uh, these podcast episodes are from Tom Day, Who We Want To Be. And that song, without any lyrics, just the melody, just the music of it, speaks to it in my core to me. So about this podcast, about the reason why I'm doing this and the reason why it originated in the first place. I like to call my lost years that over a decade and a half of time where I was just a shell of myself and my mind was in a completely different world from my body that was just doing what it had to do to survive. Um, where I, I hated myself and I was confused and I hated the world and I wanted to die, but the natophobia had me so paralyzed to, to die. So everything was suicidal ideation and nihilism and cynicism and pessimism. I, I was a mess and I'm getting out of that mess and now I'm working on my inner child to feel connected to my past in a way that's positive. And I'm trying to make little girl me proud and do everything that she wanted to do now because I'm, I'm present now and I'm fully realized now. And now I'm just trying to make my art realized and I'm, I'm trying to matter in the ways that I want to matter. I call those years my downward spiral. And I want to explore the themes in my downward spirals through podcast. So I'm going to read this little excerpt that's on my right ass called um, My Downward Spiral. The ladder to my descent to me goes as followed. Misogyny was the first thing I ever experienced that disadvantaged me and made me feel different and outside. Then bullying for my weirdness and my weakness then being the wrong kind of black, which was being othered for not being hood enough in the hood, a white imposter in black skin, even though I wouldn't meet white people until transferring middle schools in the seventh grade. Then hopes and dreams shattered upon realization of my personal circumstances made me take on pessimism, nihilism, cynicism, and a, a, an ultimate doom mindset then mortality with the no thanof oh, blah, blah, blah. with the natophobia at age 10 on my 10th birthday mixed with my great grandma pushing a terrifying narrative in my head shout out to my great grandma once again it's her birthday today she would have probably been like 90 something she passed away at 86. i'll speak more into mortality and my thanatophobia and um the episode titled for it for thanatophobia then racism. Once I was exposed to diversity, that confirmed not only that I was not, that confirmed it was not just hood black folks that othered me, but white people too. I just started to hate myself for everything and hate the world too. So these overlapping things, experiencing misogyny in the way that I experienced it, experiencing bullying from boys and girls in my age group, all the way from childhood to being a teenager in high school, feeling like the wrong kind of black, 
the, the white girl in the hood, but then transferring schools and being in, surrounded by white people for the first time and being the ghetto hood black girl until I opened my mouth and then they called me white and Oreo and I'm blacker than you. And then also over those little microaggressions, overt racism. Having these huge hopes and dreams and a childlike spirit that believed that I could literally touch the sky if I wanted to, that if I worked hard enough, I could make my dreams come true, that this is America, American dreams are possible with enough elbow grease and to be crushed by family, by friends, by strangers, by peers, by bullies, who if they got close enough to know the things that I wanted to strive for, would laugh at me or humiliate me for it, or tell me that it wasn't possible because I was just a black girl in the hood or because I was poor. And then actually actively fighting for auditions and fighting to get into rooms that got closed on me because I was poor, because I was black. It, it made me feel like then there is no point. If life already sucks now and I can't make it better in the future, if I can't make my dreams come true, if I can't have hope, then I, I, then nothing matters. Then my life doesn't matter. And then I internalized that all to mean that life was dull and stupid and didn't matter and that I was worthless as much as life was worthless. And then, you know, the inner dialogue of being pathetic, of being a loser, of being stupid, of being a joke, you know, it, it avalanched on itself. And then fanatophobia, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Anxiety already sucks. Panic attacks already suck. Fanatophobia is awful. To be afraid of something that's so inevitable and the fact that inevitability only makes it more terrifying and crippling is awful. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So the effects of anti-blackness and racism already have an intergenerational toll on black people as a collective. That trauma already exists in us, in our blood, in our DNA. And then actively experiencing it for ourselves in the real world adds another weight. Same for having another weight of misogyny and massage noir. And then to actively be physically bullied, verbally, emotionally, and physically. Because just because I'm a girl doesn't mean I don't get physically bullied. I've been physically bullied. Um, and just feeling like everything you do is wrong. Your body is wrong. Your mind is wrong. Your dreams are wrong. They don't fit you. Um, everything you do is just wrong. You are just wrong. Um, turn these anxieties into a depression and the depression to suicidal ideation. But once again, it's just ideation because I can't commit with intent because my crippling thanatophobia keeps me alive. So I'm just in this limbo of being forced to exist, a pathetic existence, feeling pathetic, feeling like a waste of an existence. And all of these things were something that I had to overcome. And at the time when I was in middle school, I had an idea of creating a little black book of hate. And that book was going to just be a giant black sketchbook where I just put everything that I could give myself into it. 
about how much I hated myself, how much I wanted to die, how how much I hated black people, how much I hated being black, how much I hated girls, how much I hated being a girl, how much I hated women, how much I hated that one day I was gonna be a woman, how much how much I hate that my mom had me because I should have never been born. Just all of this ugly. I was going to put everything in that book. And then in high school, I had an idea of instead um, making drawings, drawings where I can literally um, monsterize um, my thoughts, turn them into creatures and turn them into these works of art to express in a visual form how I felt and how I viewed things without it being words so that if if the little black book of hate came out and people read the words, it would connect to me. I'd be exposed. I'd feel shame. If I just make it drawings with no context, people don't know what these monsters or what this art is. It could still be a little bit of my little secret. I never did either. I didn't create the little black book of hate and I didn't create the ugly thoughts drawing series. Instead, I decided to do the ugly thoughts podcast where I, and now me and my co-host, my best friend, Mo, will explore hate, hate of oneself, hate of others, and if hate is ever justified, we're going to explore the nuances and kinks inside of bias and inside of hate and inside of mental illness and inside of vengeance and spitefulness and pettiness and bad energy and, and negative emotions and automatic negative thoughts and just the mind and our belief systems so that whoever's listening, if anyone ever listens, they can introspect. Maybe they can engage with us back. Uh, maybe you could submit through email or you could respond to the Instagram and a DM or leave recordings back and you can tell me your story or snippets of how you feel about a certain subject. This can be a conversation that branches out bigger. People are scratching the surface of mental illness. Yes, people are scratching the surface of depression and anxiety. And slowly I see people trying to dip more into things like ADHD, ADD, BPD. Um, I see people are still afraid of things like schizophrenia. I know people love to talk about narcissism. Um, but I think, I think, I think something is missing and I think hate is missing. I think people are not talking about hate in the right ways. And I don't know how to put this, but I think when people talk about hate on the internet, they just brush it with a broad stroke of just, oh, hate is just bigoted. That's it. Hate is a racist. Hate is a sexist and not really encompassing the huge underneath of the iceberg that is hate. Hate outside of prejudice and bigotry, just full-fledged hate within oneself, within another individual person, within a community of people, within whatever. All the nitty gritty of hate, I would like to start picking at that and exploring that so that that narrative can expand and the conversations can expand elsewhere outside of this podcast, outside of anything that me and Mo do. 
I think hate is an interesting thing to explore that needs to be explored. Because when you have conversations and you explore topics, you could dive into the nitty gritty, you could get into the gray area and the nuances, and you could take preventative steps to stop things that harm people. And you can work towards treating things for people who have actually been affected. I think it all starts with a talk and I'm trying to talk. I talk too damn much. Here I am, I'm talking. So yes, that is what the Ugly Thoughts podcast means to me. And I'm going to go after it with everything that I got, just as much as I'm going to go through all my other creative endeavors with everything I got. I promise that to me. I do. I want this for me. And actually, I sent an email to myself titled, I want this for me. Whenever I come up with a new idea for something to draw or write or, or research or whatever, I don't use the notes apps, even though I have a ton. I have Notion, Mylanote, Evernote, Raindrop, DaVinci. Like, I literally have so much Google Keep. I prefer to send text to myself or emails to myself and then screenshot that and save it as an archive. And the reason why is I like the idea of sending something to present me to future me for future me to see, even though present and future me in these cases is only seconds to minutes away. I just feel it feels interesting to have that connection between different stages of myself, especially considering I'm doing so many things for child me to make up to child me, to fully realize child me, to make child me proud. I like the interactions between myself throughout time. So I sent this email to myself yesterday at 10.07 p.m. called, I want this for me. I have to be honest with what I want. I want to be remembered. I want to exist beyond this existence. I want to last everlastingly. This is the truth. I don't want to be for right now. For this timeline of my life, my existence, I want to be forever in a way. I want to last beyond my physical timeline. I believe I can have that was being as open and there is and as present as possible. That doesn't make sense. I can spread far and wide my work, my art, my ideas. I can be immortal artistically. I believe I can have that. Being as opened and is there and as present as possible. I can spread far and wide my work, my ideas. I can be immortal artistically. The thoughts from anonymous, the words without a name still mean that I'm still here, still means I existed. I want to matter, and I want to matter in the way I want to matter, the way that feels true to me, and that is through my honesty, my vulnerability, my creativity. I want to matter in the way that feels truly fulfilling to me. My specific idea of mattering for me and only me, I cannot dictate what matters to you. What matters about you, yourself, and I wouldn't want that. The way I want to matter is mine. It's what I want. I want to matter in the art and I want to matter in time. This is my specific way. Hey, having big dreams may be honestly foolish, but I have to go for it. I have to try. 
I have a deathbed mentality that keeps me from not wanting to try. So I'm going to try no matter how much I embarrass myself. No matter how scared I am, I am scared of one thing more. I'm scared of trying and failing. I'm scared of trying, but I'm even more scared of not trying at all. I'm scared of being on my deathbed one day with nothing but regrets because I didn't try. So this is what I want. I want to be remembered, I want to matter, and I want to try. So this is the end of the episode. I have talked whoever's ear off, if anyone listened to this. And if you listened to this, thank you sincerely for listening. Once again, you could go to the Ugly Thoughts podcast Instagram, or you could go to FatimaBaxter.com and search for the Ugly Thoughts podcast, and there will be a link to the um, Google Doc of the introductory questions that I created if you wanted to read them for yourself, if you wanted to explore answering those questions yourself or asking people that you love those questions and starting a conversation. Follow We Aren't Really Strangers on Instagram, support their content, purchase their products. And once again, thank you so much for listening if you've listened.